Hello. 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 Hello, insightful family. How's hey. everyone doing this evening? Well, I hope. Hope y'all having a good Labor Day and a good Labor Day evening. Hope y'all ate a lot of good food and oh, got yeah. a chance to spend time with family and friends and still social distancing and wearing masks if you're going out. But um, hope everyone is doing well. So we can go ahead and get started. I am Shaniquia. And I am Lakeisha. And welcome yes. to Insightful Conversations with SNL. Yes, this is episode number five. We are really moving forward yes. with our video podcast. Woo. And it's going so well, so well. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, as always, I want to start off with doing a brief recap from the previous episode. So it's been a while. It's been a few weeks since we met with you. But the last episode was titled, You Good, Sis? Stress, Health, and the African-American Women. So basically in our episode, we discuss stress, the differences between good stress and bad stress, the different types of stress, and we also discuss tips for managing stress. So we hope that you were able to look at that episode, but if you have not, that is perfectly fine. Just go back and watch that. You can watch that on our Facebook page, or you can watch it on our YouTube channel, which is Insightful Conversations with SNL. And you can also watch the previous three episodes as well, so you can get caught up. And I want to make an announcement. We officially have an Instagram page now, so you can follow us at Insightful Conversations underscore with SL. And one more announcement. We are also officially an audio podcast now. Yes. So you can listen to us on the following podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. So we will update you when we get on any additional platforms, but those are the ones that we're currently on right now. All right, so make sure that y'all listen to us and also make sure that you like, subscribe, share, follow all of our pages and make sure you tell people about us so that we can continue to spread the word and get content out here that you all love. Okay, so all right, well, with no further ado, I'll go ahead and turn it over to my cousin Lakeisha and she will introduce our special guest for this evening. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, to say the least, we have missed you all. Um, the reason why we did not have an episode on last Monday, as you all know, um, there was the Brandy versus Monica uh, battle going on. Um, Which was I, so good, by the way. So good. <laughs> uh, I didn't did y'all watch? Opportunity. Did y'all watch? Huh? Did y'all watch? I didn't get the opportunity to see it. I was actually participating in a, um, in a conference um, online that was taking place the one uh, the same time. So that's why we didn't get the opportunity to come to you all on last week. So thank you all for being patient um, with us as we bring you all new content on today. Um, not to belong the time, I definitely want to introduce to you all our special guests uh, for uh, this evening. Um, to say the least, um, he is a very good friend of mine. 
Um, also, we work part-time together um, at Tallahassee Memorial at the Behavioral uh, Health Center. And um, he and I have known each other for a number um, of years. Um, not only in working together part-time, uh, Matias actually does a lot. And when I say a lot um, of presentations um, at Florida State University, where I work full-time, um, as well. So not only with our department within care with the pre-collegiate division, um, but he also, um, him and his team with regards to Joe um, and Damali. We miss you, Damali, but congratulations on your new professional um, endeavor. Um, but they have been out on campus, like I said, doing testing with our college students, um, coming to talk to our pre-collegiate students, um, not only about sexual health, but just health in general as it relates to dental hygiene and substance abuse and, and things of, it, of that nature. So I can say for a fact, um, Matias is very much knowledgeable in the content that he's going to be sharing with us on um, this evening. He's very, very much passionate um, about this particular subject area. Um, and also before we start this evening's um, session, we definitely wanna make a disclaimer um, for any parents who may have children or teenagers present, um, you just want to let you know that this content may be a little bit uncomfortable um, and things of that nature. So definitely want to put um, that out there if you have yet to have a talk with your child or with your teenager um, concerning tonight's uh, content. Uh, but without further ado, I'm going to allow Matias Sweets who currently serves as the program director for the Ryan White Foundation here in Tallahassee, Florida, to give you a little bit more information about himself. And then we're gonna proceed on with tonight's session. Well, thank you so much, Lakeisha and Ms. Shaniqua. This is, my name again is Matias Sweet. I'm the Ryan White Program Director for Neighborhood Medical Center. Um, and claim I'm doing this on my own time right now, not for Neighborhood Medical Center, but, um, I really, you know, say enjoy talking about this type of subject. I really enjoy educating people, and I'm just ready to get the information out there so we can protect people and keep people healthy, safe, and alive. So I'm ready whenever y'all are, ladies. Let's do it. And one of the reasons why Shaniqua and I wanted to do this episode, uh, first and foremost, we wanted to say we are not out here advocating for anybody to go out and have sex. Um, or to be promiscuous. Um, I am very much um, against that. Um, I have students all the time who come um, and share with me their life stories or what's going on and things of that nature. So my students, whether they're collegiate or they're pre-collegiate, they will tell you if, if anything, Ms. Brown is going to talk to them about being abstinent. Um, but at the same time, I also have to be realistic um, as well because I know that there are people um, out there who are not on the same level as I am um, and living the type of lifestyle that I am. Um, and so as an educator, it is my job to educate them to the best of my ability and whatever resources that, you know, myself or Shaniqua, because she also works with collegiate students as well, whatever we cannot help them with, then, hey, we need to provide those resources and those tools so that they can make a more informed decision about whatever um, situation that they have going on in their life. So the first question, Matias, that we wanted to present to you this evening, um, could you tell us the difference between an STD versus an STI? Yes, um, that's a it, it's a great question. The actual the STD is what a lot of people call, which is a sexual transmitted disease, where 
most STDs were called and considered. Now we change it to STI, and that's sexually transmitted infection. So the difference basically is just the last part. It's still sexually transmitted, but it's either considered a disease or it's considered an infection. So basically most STIs or STDs begin with the sexually transmitted infection. Most of it starts with the infection process. Then most infections considered to be bacteria and things of that nature that can be cured. But some of the STDs are actually viruses that can't be cured. We can actually just treat them. So most STDs start out or STDs used to be start out with an infection and go into a disease state. So that's the reason why they switched over because most of the STDs are considered to be bacteria and they enter the body as a bacteria and then later progress into a disease. So that's the difference between an STD and an STI and why they basically change it to STI because most of it is just an infection. Okay. Okay. But so like if you call it STDs, like that's still okay. It's still okay because most people still okay. going to know what you're talking about okay. because they recently just changed to the STI. But I mean, STD and STI still it's interchangeable. It means the same thing. It's just one just a disease and one is an STI. So it just breaks it down to the different categories. And when we get into a little further about it, about what is considered an infection and which one is considered like a virus or a disease, because all of them can enter the body as an infection, which basically it starts and then it progresses to other things because an STD is really, there's a lot of bacteria that can turn into a lot of other things to optimistic infections if it's not treated. They can cause a lot of other infections like pelvic inflammatory disease and different things like that that it can go if it goes untreated. Thank you for that. Um, can you explain um, what are the most common types of STIs? Yeah, most common types of STIs are considered to be, uh, I can tell you about Florida, <laughs> um, is gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. Those are the three main ones that we have right now. And then the other ones like HIV, it, it creeps up right there with it. And then we have the HPV and the herpes and the... Um, so that's just basically what it all boils down to. But the main three that are real common right now are gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. Okay. And can you explain those? So just, you know, so we have some background what it is. Well, gonorrhea and chlamydia are kind of interchangeable. They're almost the same type. They're both bacteria diseases. They both present with almost the same type of symptoms. It could be a yellow greenish discharge coming out of the vagina or the penis or the anus or even in the mouth. A lot of people don't understand that they can get STDs in any orifice. So when I say orifice, it could be your eye, it could be your mouth, it could be your penis, your vagina, your anus, it just depends. And so I really strongly suggest that when people go to the doctor to inform and have an open conversation with your practitioner and tell them exactly what type of sex you're having so we can actually treat you and prevent you from getting stuff. Because if you're telling me you only have vaginal sex and I test you vaginally, but you really have anal sex in the actual STDs in the rectum, then I'm not able to treat you because that's two different areas in those past one problem. So I really need to make sure that we have the open dialogue conversation. But gonorrhea and chlamydia are both considered STDs, or sexually transmitted infections, because they're bacteria-based. And so, and a lot of times the STD for gonorrhea and chlamydia are asymptomatic. For people who don't know what that is, that means there's no signs or symptoms. So you might not have the discharge, you might, might have the odor, you might not have the difficulty urinating. You might not have the burning sensation. It's just a normal, you know, normal body function. You don't know you have it until it's too late, until it causes the pelvic inflammatory disease, which it gets into your ovaries and into your reproductive system and cause you to become sterile and eat up your eggs and 
has caused you a lot more problems until that's when a lot of people find out that, oh, I got an STD is because it just went on. Or a lot of women sometimes, um, they just like, oh, it's just a normal discharge. And they take something and treat that little part of it and don't really treat the whole STD. So that's basically gonorrhea and chlamydia. It's the incubation period of two to 14 days after sexual contact. So, I mean, it's really, it's easily treatable. Gonorrhea, you just get, um, we give you normally a shot of Rocephin and then some azithromycin. And then for chlamydia, you get the azithromycin. So it's just about the different things. And it's always imperative. I want, if you don't take nothing away from this, if you get an STD and you get treated for it, I want you to take all of your medicine, completely follow through with what the doctor says, and then go back and get tested again to make sure the medication works. Because sometimes there's different strands. People could be immune to medication and sometimes medication just might not work for that strand that you have. There's different types of strands of STDs and bacteria that might be a little bit stronger, especially if you had gonorrhea and chlamydia before. You really want to make sure that it's really gone. You want to do your due diligence yourself to make sure that you stay healthy. Now with syphilis, that's a... Um, it's almost like a bacteria slash virus type of thing because once you get syphilis, you will always have it. It will remain with you. We can treat it and we can uh, get rid of the symptoms, but it will always stay in your system as you have tested positive for syphilis. So even when we do our rapid syphilis test, which you can actually do at your county health departments and places like that and your federally qualified healthcare centers, you're able to actually get a 15 minute rapid test. But we do that for HIV and syphilis. And it tells us in 15 minutes if you ever had syphilis. So the lines will pop up and then we'll draw your blood and do a, a what is called um, a RPR, which is a syphilis test. And it'll tell us the titer, if it's actually an active case or it's an inactive case. But once you always test positive for syphilis, you will always test positive again for syphilis. It'll just be at a low number. And that way it tells us that it's not react, it's not an active case. But if the numbers go up, that means you reinfected yourself. And syphilis is a little tricky it has three different stages. It has the primary stage. And the primary stage of um, syphilis basically is like the canker sore. And so that's where anywhere between 10 to 90 days, you'll get, you'll start seeing things happen as far on your tongue. Mostly it's on the tongue or inside the mouth, you get those canker sores or you get like a big red, red disc on your tongue. And it's actually painless. It doesn't feel anything. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't do anything. It's just there and then it goes away. And that's the, the primary stage. The secondary stage of syphilis is called pretty much the main thing is the palmar plantar. That's the rash stage. So where your palms are your hands and your soles are your feet, you get like little ringworms and things like that all over them. And then that kind of stuff is easily for it to spray it because mm -hmm. the sores are here. And if they have sores and it's oozing and it's open and you touch something, I always tell the kids, once you touch it, you own it. So you have to be careful, especially when you're doing oral sex and things like that, especially with the um, with the very, the primary stage, it could be on the penis. And a lot of men are uncut. So you might not see that the penis has a sore on it because it's under the shaft of the penis. So when you pull the skin back and it's too late because it's already in your mouth, you don't see that sore. And then that sore is open, it's kind of oozing. So you're getting that stuff into your mouth that can actually pass the STD on to yourself. And then the third stage is the tertiary stage. The tertiary stage is where it affects the nervous system. And I always tell the kids, once the damage is done to your body, it might not be able to be reversed back because a lot of these things can become like syphilis. The tertiary stage can become flesh eating. 
And so the bacteria gets into your system and it can start eating away at your skin. It can start eating away at your brain. It can attack your nervous system. Um, and I always refer back to the movie, Keisha, help me if I'm right, it's the um, Tuskegee Experiment with, uh, with the, the pilot. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. and they did a, the, the test study where they were infecting the pilots with syphilis and they weren't treating them and that, that's how they were getting the effects of that. So it's, it's a very dangerous thing like Al Capone, William Shakespeare, all these great people died from syphilis from back in the day. But it's because it gets to the tertiary and it gets into your mind and then it can cause you to have different things as far as, um, you know, memory loss, all these other things that could come to it. So then you can get the latent syphilis is once it gets all the way through those different stages, it breaks down. You don't have any signs and symptoms, but then it just starts affecting you later. Then you can also have congenital syphilis. Congenital is where it's the mother passes it to the baby. So it's very important that when you do are pregnant and you get pregnant, you go to your prenatal checkups, you, you get into care, you find that wick, that um, early childhood start. Um, the health department is a great resource if you find that you're pregnant and don't have, it doesn't matter if you have insurance or not, is go get the help that you need because a lot of things, a lot of people don't know about the different agencies that are here to help them, even if they have insurance that will help them with pregnancy because a lot of people don't get into that prenatal care until it's too late. We find a lot of people that come into prenatal care at the last stage or the last um, few months of the um, pregnancy. And then now they find out they got all these STDs and it's harder to treat because now we got to worry about taking care of the baby afterward. Um, and then the last one is the neurosyphilis. That's where it affects your brain and the nervous system and the memory. So it can cause paralysis. It can cause a lot of things if it goes untreated. Luckily, like I said, the syphilis is treatable. You get 2.4 million units of bicillin and it pretty much goes away. So that's the best part. It's treatable and it won't come back unless you get reinfected again. So that's really pretty much the main three STDs out there. There is HPV and HPV is the human papillomavirus. So that's genital warts. Um, if you can get your children prevented, um, from getting what by getting the Gardasil shot, I suggest that you do that between those ages of 15, 13 and 21 because it does help. It doesn't prevent them from all. Gardasil only protects them from 15 to 20 different types of the um, HPVs that are out there, but there's over 250 different types of HPV. But the wow. ones that protects them from is the ones that are actually the ones that cervical cancer. Those are the main ones you want to be able to prevent and make sure that we can prevent them from getting cervical cancer. And it's also good for the males because we still don't want testicular cancer as well. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because I had no idea about a lot of that. Yeah, it's, it, it goes into detail. And like when I explain it to the young kids, we have PowerPoints where we actually show them the pictures and we get a little more graphic with them because a lot of times the kids don't know what they're looking at. The only thing that they see on TV, they see it on TV. Nothing ever looks like it seems on TV when it happens in real life. Um, and then when you're looking at yourself, you don't know what's wrong. You think, oh, okay, well, I just got this or something happened and, and that's it. But you need to know those different signs and say, hey, I might need to find out somebody that I can call and say, hey, I got a bump or I got a blister. What is it? And if you do get a blister or a bump, do not pop it. Just wait and seek professional help because you don't know when you pop that blister, if it's a herpes, excuse me, if it's a herpes blister and you pop it, 
you can actually spread with that. So you can get it to your fingers, your hands. You can get it everywhere because it's the, back, the actual bacteria and the virus and stuff is inside that fluid. So that's why it's very important that you don't bust those bumps and make sure that you wash your hands and stay very sanitary when you do have things like that. Thank you for sharing, Matias. Yes. Thank you for sharing. Um, my next question to you is, can you tell us about some myths that you have heard or that you've been privy to when it comes to STDs and or STIs? Yes. Um, one, a lot of people, the myth is I can't get an STD from oral sex. That, that's a big myth. A lot of people say, oh, I put a condom on. I do all this stuff. I can't get an STD. You can get an STD. It's great that you use the condom for penetration, but you still want to make sure that you get your flavored condoms from free from your local health department and other agencies around town provide free condoms. Um, like I said, I can speak for Florida, and I think Georgia does it as well, the Georgia Health Department. But I know Florida, we provide condoms everywhere. We provide flavors. We provide dental dams, everything. You just want that barrier between you and the skin. So the dental dam goes on top of the vagina, which is a sheet of latex that goes over the vagina or the anus, whichever one you like, you know what I'm saying, whatever tickles your pickle. And we'll be able to have oral sex safety. You just want that barrier between yourself and that person. So if they ever had a bum bum lady, you make sure you check it out. Because if he got the bum bum, he goes down on you, he's going to actually give you herpes. So it just depends on that's the things you need to look at. You need to examine things. You know, uh, it's all cute now that the people do the little light off and want to have sex. I tell the kids, turn the lights on. You want to go back to the old school way. You show me yours, I show you mine. I need to look at things to know what it is. So <laughs> that's one of the myths that they can't get. A, um, you can get an STD from having oral sex because it goes into your mouth, everything like that. We also tell a little tidbit, um, don't brush your teeth before you have oral sex. Because you brush your teeth, sometimes when you brush your teeth in the gums, there's small chances, but you get little microscopic cuts. He ejaculates inside your mouth. Could also get the bacteria stuff to seep into your skin and pores. We tell people not to shave because the same thing. You could have a little cut. You could cut yourself. The sore might not heal up right, and then the, and he pulls out and ejaculates on top of you. That's how things can also get spread into your system. Um, some other myths is um, I can't afford STD testing or treatment. That's that's a lie. Everybody can afford it because 90% of the time when you go to the health department, it's free. It's Whether free. you have insurance, you have anything. You don't have to tell them you have insurance. You go to your local health department and say, hey, I think I've been in contact or I have came in contact with an STD. They're going to take care of everything for you. They're going to test you and they're going to treat you. And it should be free. Um, if you have no insurance, you can find your local federally qualified health care center and they'll be able to do that as well. Um, another myth. Um, if my partner gets tested and they're negative, does that mean I have a, I don't have an STD? That's a lie because you might not be sleeping with just your partner. So your partner might be good and you might not. So mm -hmm. it's just the luck of the draw. Y'all use condoms, but guess what? I didn't use a condom with this other girl over here. So now I might have an STD. My partner says she's good, but you still need to get tested yourself. Um, other myths. We had one... Um, myth that one of the students that Lakeisha had had brought up and the student said if he sticks his finger in his ear and gets some earwax on it and then he inserts it into the vagina and she jumps she has the std for me not to have sex with her that's a total myth that you can't stick your finger in the ear and get some earwax and determine if somebody has an std so 
That was another myth. The other myth Wait, was that, uh, where did that come from? That myth it came from a, a young kid, but he said that's what <laughs> what his brothers and cousins and all told him. If he puts the finger in the ear, get the earwax, and he inserts it into the vagina, if she jumps, she got an STD. You don't have sex with her. And this was not a college student, you guys. This yeah. was one of our high school students uh, who asked this. And to say the least, we were shocked. Um, but like I said, that's why we brought in the experts so that, that they could ask the questions that they need to ask. Because like I said, the reality is a lot of people, not just teenagers and college students, adults too, we just live in a hyper-sexualized society. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. Sex is everywhere. Social media, magazines, music, books, music like it's music. everywhere. And so they are curious. You know, yeah, we can sit up here and we can preach abstinence all day. We can tell them about the consequences. Um, we can show them the imagery of, hey, this could potentially happen if you get yourselves involved in these situations. But at the end of the day, the choice to remain abstinent or, like I said, to get involved with somebody in an intimate sexual manner, it boils down to the individual. So that's why it's so important that we have conversations like we're having this evening to educate the general public about the severity of STDs and or STIs. Yeah. And I'm going back to that student. I wonder if that student heard that from like family, like, you it know, it had to come from somewhere. Cause I'm just trying to figure out like how that you would think that a lot of kids, they get their information because Keisha teaches about the high school students, some middle school students, but they're intrigued about sex because sex, like Keisha said, is at their fingertips. With a single app on the phone, they can have a hookup in 15 minutes, if that. And so you would never know. And these kids are having sex at school. They're having sex in parking lots. They're having sex while parents are gone. Um, just looking at the different ways, because the stories we hear when they come into the clinic is outrageous on where they had sex, what, what they're doing. Um, but the kids believe whatever somebody else told them. It's kind of like when you listen to your parents and you know your parents are pretty much God to you because they're not going to teach me wrong. They're going to tell me the truth. I believe this person. And so when somebody that's like their older cousin or something they look up to tell them these things and they're out here having sex and they're not having problems, why should I believe what they say? Right. And so that's a lot. And the last myth I want to talk about is the, the myth about the pap smear. A lot of girls think when they go to the doctor and get a pap or the cervical smears, that they're getting tested for everything and they're not. The PAP is only testing for abnormal cells of the cervix and for cervical cancer. If you want an STD panel while you're getting your PAP smear, you have to tell your provider that you want a full STD panel. You have to ask for those because on a regular PAP, all we're doing is a regular smear and we're testing for abnormal cells for cancer and cervical cancer. So we really want to stress that because a lot of women think, oh, I went to the doctor, I got a pap, I'm good, but you're not good. We don't know if you're really good because we didn't do the HIV test. We didn't do the syphilis and gonorrhea. We didn't do the chlamydia. We didn't do the HPV. We didn't do the uh, herpes test. So all those different tests that you gotta make sure that you ask for when you go into the doctor. And that's the point of being, making sure that everybody advocates for themselves. You gotta be an advocate and go in there, and especially if you have young girls and young men, have them talk to the provider. Sometimes you might need to step out and say, hey, it's hard as a parent. Trust me, I know. My, my, my stepdaughter is 17, I know. And it's, we have these conversations all the time. And I'll be like, 
You go into that doctor's office, you go in there, you need to go in there and tell them everything that's going on. You ain't got to tell me, but you got to go in there and tell them what's going on. So therefore we can know what, what to do, how to treat you if something is wrong, because we still need to make sure that you know. Everybody wants to believe that their child is a virgin. You just want to believe it. You don't want to see it. We preach abstinence. But in today's time, when you watching TV and these movies and listen to these songs, like my daughter and them would just listen to something called WAP. I don't even know what that is. I mean, I know what it is, but it's just like, why would you listen to something like this? And my four-year-old niece knows what WAP is. And I was like, I don't understand. So the way that the society is today, we need to let these kids know early, hey, let's get and find this out because we don't want nothing to happen to them because they're scared to talk. And they need to know that the healthcare providers is a safe place. Whatever they tell us, I can't go back and tell your mom. Right. I can't. right. The only thing I can go back and tell your mom is, hey, I'm finna call 911 because she's having some suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. She's gonna hurt herself. That's about it. But yeah. other than that, like if you tell me you're having sex, that's not a conversation for me to tell your mom. That's between you and your mom. And if you want me to assist with you, I can. But those are the conversations that they need to know when they talk to that provider that that information is confidential and that they are able to be open and free. Yeah. I want to um, read a comment that um, is in the comments. Um, it's from Gwen. She's like, I'm sure there are other strange myths that young kids believe. They get their information from their friends and TikTok and they believe what they hear. It's important to have these conversations with your kids. And that's exactly right. And that's again, that's why we're doing this tonight. Because they're they're hearing it, like you said about knowing the song. Wow, yeah, it's out there. Yeah, and things have changed so much since we've been kids. I remember going to the doctor back in the day, and you know whatever information I disclosed to my physician back then, they could disclose that information to your parent or to your guardian. Yeah, so there really was no privacy. Now, like I said, you can go to the doctor on your own and your parent or your guardian will never, ever know. And like you said, whatever information that you share between yourself and that provider, it strictly stays between you all. Mm -hmm. So they're making, to me, the system more seamless. They're trying mm -hmm. to make it more, like you said, to feel like a safe haven, safe space for you to come and talk uh, to a professional Versus our generation, those of us who grew up during the, who were born during the eighties, were raised during the nineties. Like I said, whatever we told our doctors, if our mom and dads wanted to know, they had every right to that right. information. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of us, yeah, we probably did keep a lot of information to ourselves because we didn't want to go and let our mamas know, like you know, what it is that we were up to and things mm -hmm. of that nature. And as a mom, mm -hmm. that's how consequences came about. And that's how pregnancies come, abortions, mm -hmm. like you said, contracting an STD and STI. And things like that. So, like I said, if the resources and the tools are out there, all you have to do is access them. So, good job, Matias. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Get a lot of good but feedback. But also, like, I, I, it's not just the STDs that are confidential. If your child wants to get on birth control, we don't have to tell you. That's between us and the, the child. The conversation that the provider has is between the child and them. That's just like, I can't tell your child. Oh, you know, your mom is pregnant. I can't do that. Or, you know, your mom had an STD today or your mom had an abnormal path. I can't have that conversation with your child. I can only have that with you. And so a lot of times we'll ask the parents to step out the room so we can get the information. We had a young gentleman who came in. He was about 14, 15. He had an STD and 
he contracted it from school, had sex at school. Everybody was sleeping with the girl. He wanted to sleep with her too. So he just did it just for the heck of it. That was his first experience. Never really attracted her, never nothing. But then he just started burning. The grandmother brought him in. He said, I just don't feel well, brought him in. We told grandma, have a seat outside. Talked to him, got his test results, got him tested, brought him back, treated him right there. Grandma didn't know anything. He walked out the door happy. And so that's how it flows. The object is to keep the person safe. We still got to keep them safe because we know a lot of times, especially with my parents, we didn't have those conversations. And I changed that with my daughter. I changed it. We had those conversations. She has condoms. Everybody like, why you let her have condoms? Because I'm not a fool. Because I know that she's going to do it. At some point in time, she might already have done it. I still don't know. But she knows how to protect herself. She knows how to put it on properly. A lot of people don't know how to put on condoms properly. They don't know which condom to use. You can get a condom, but if the condom's too big for the penis, what's the good for it? And it sits off and falls inside of the vagina. Then you have to fish them out. So those are the things that we try to teach the kids is about looking for being knowledgeable about sex, knowing that when you have sex with somebody, you're giving a piece of your body, mind, and soul to that person. It's not just something you want to give up so free. It's a connection that you have, but you know, back in the day, we understood about the soul ties and everything from mm-hmm. the music and and stuff. But nowadays, mm-hmm. they don't have that soul tie. They make it seem like it's a microwave generation where everything's quick and I need to hurry and do it. So that's the mm-hmm. things that we really try to bestow on these kids. He should tell you, I preach absence all day. But I know realistically, most of these kids aren't going to do it. And so the one thing I don't want to do is shame them and make them feel like they can't come talk to us and be like, I'm going to talk down to you because you had sex. We actually embrace them and say, you know, it's okay. We've been there. We've done that. It, it wasn't great my first time either. You know what I'm saying? You have to be open and accepting, especially just think about if your kid ever comes to you and talks to you about sex, please be open-minded because it took a lot for them to come talk to you about it. It took them a lot of guts to come up to you and say, mom, dad, you know, I'm out here having sex. It might not be what you want. I slipped up. I could be pregnant. Those are the things that, you know what I'm saying? We, we might be mad, but we got to put that to the back burner to figure out what's really wrong because we don't want to shut those kids off either because they're and, opening up to you. And I'm glad that you yeah. brought that up because it makes me want to ask, well, how should a parent approach that? You know, like you were saying that if they're if the child is coming to them saying this, like how should they approach that conversation? What well, would like, what I did with my child was we talked about things. We asked. I even brought my child to one of Keisha's classes and said, hey, you're going to sit in this class, you're going to listen, you're going to learn. It's just about, I'm not being harsh. I just want you to know. But just ask the kids. So, hey, we just going to have a conversation. I know you don't want to talk about it. What do you know about sex? Just start it off easy. Make it a fun conversation. Find your local clinic, like neighborhood. We do different, um, I go talk about work. <laughs> we do different um, <laughs> classes and things like that for the schools and things. And we even do some seminars and things like that for the community where we can actually come in and take that burden off the parents because a lot of parents don't want to have that conversation with their kids or they don't know how, or you have grandparents who are raising their kids now, mm-hmm. their grandkids, and they don't know how to bring that up because grandma was born in the sixties and it's 2020. So they don't know the difference on what's going on and things like that. So just reach out to your local health departments, your, um, your FQHCs, your community-based organizations, your the Boys and Girls Club, the, the different community um, groups out there that can actually help and assist you with that if you have those questions. But just sit them down and talk to them. Ask them what's going on in their thing. Me and my daughter talk about her boyfriend all the time. So what's going on with y'all too? 
Y'all went on a date, what it is. So those are the things that, you know what I'm saying, you have to ask and be there because trust me, once you open that door, you're going to be like, I wish I wouldn't open that door because now she's going to come to me or he's going to come to me and start talking all the time about it. But you got to be ready for whatever they're going to say because as Keisha tell you, some of these kids blew my mind in our first class when we talked to them about some of the things that they were asking about, like what type of sex. And I was like, y'all shouldn't even know about these type of things or do anything, but you'll be surprised at what these kids are learning and watching and seeing on TV and music videos and cartoons. But they're being introduced to it, but they don't know how to act upon it. And it's our job as educators to actually come educate the people and just let them know, hey, this is it's okay to have sex. And people be like, why are you telling them it's okay? Because it's a natural body function. It's okay. But a lot of times you have to use that reverse psychology on them. Because you tell them it's okay, and they be like, wait a minute, why is mom and dad telling me it's okay to have sex when they, everybody else is saying it's not okay? I'm not going to do this because mom and dad said it's okay. But the minute you tell them no not to do it, the first thing they're going to do is run to that boy or run mm-hmm. over here. So you just have to have those lines of communication, and you have to know your child. You really have to know your child and, and what they get into. And it's not about being a sneaky parent, but just being informative and asking questions. Provide them stuff. Ask them. Say, hey, let's go talk about this with somebody. Or, you know what I'm saying, bring somebody in. Like, Keisha's like, I get my friends all the time. Can you talk to my kids about sex? And I'm like, sure, just tell them to come to my office. And just find that person that they can relate to and, and understand and know and get the information. But make sure it's the correct information because a lot of people don't give out the correct information. It's true. And That's one true. thing that I do when Matias, he presents to our students, number one, um, our students, parents, or guardians, they have to sign off on a waiver. Um, so um, in no shape, form or fashion, do we force them to take um, the sexual health course that we offer um, more so during our summer component. Like I said, the parents or guardians have to give the A-OK. Um, if they don't want their child to participate, then the scholar is not going to be penalized um, in any manner. We will um, give them an alternative assignment to work on during that time period. And then also, I'm very cognizant um, my students look at look to me in a, as in a mother figure, a figure. So I usually do not sit in on Matias's and Joe's and Damali's presentation because once again, I want them to feel safe. I know that there's information they're not going to disclose if I'm in that room and things of that nature. So I will step out. Like I said, everybody is different, but that's something that I do so that my kids, like I said, that they can ask the questions that they need to ask. Some of them come to me and just like they told Matias some stuff, they'll come to me personally and tell me uh, things that are going on with them. And then, like I said, if I can help them, great. If I can't, that's good as well, because like I said, that's why we have the experts in these different fields to help assist them mm-hmm. um, in these situations. Right, right. So my question is, who should be tested and what's involved? Okay. Well, everybody should be tested who is sexually active. Even if you're not sexually active, we suggest you at least get tested once a year just to know your status and get used to being tested. So if you're, I say, if you're having sex, you need to be tested. And we suggest that everybody get tested every three to six months, depending on your sexual activity. Um, If you're having more frequent sex and different sex partners and things like that, we suggest you get tested every three months. If you're having the same sexual partner, we suggest you get tested, like I said, three to six months, depending on that gap period. And then 
once you and your partner get tested together, keyword is together. If you're having a sexual partner and it's one partner, y'all should be able to go to the clinic together, get tested, go get tested, get your results and come back and swap papers. Ladies, I want you to understand. I see it every day. Make sure you see stuff in black and white. If it's not in black and white, it didn't happen. He could say he got tested, but where your paperwork? I'm a firm believer in I, you show me yours, I show you mine. I don't, I hear it all day long sitting in the office with people who come in here and get tested for HIV and because they come positive. I've been faithful. I've been this. I've been that. We see it every day. And it's heartbreaking when their partner will not go with them to get tested. If your partner doesn't want to get tested, figure out what's wrong. It's okay to say, hey, we can't have sex right now until you get tested. Y'all have to start demanding respect because you are putting yourself at risk. And I know one of the questions that they want to talk about, but it's kind of good it came up. Women are basically the most vulnerable of getting a lot of STDs. They're the number one people who get STDs. And so it's just, that's the part that breaks my heart because we're all sweet. We're innocent. You know what I'm saying? A sexual act, it can be innocent. You think you're doing right. You're doing 100% right with your partner, but they might not be doing right. And not just saying that everybody's partner is wrong, everybody's out there cheating, everybody out there doing anything. It's, it's not. And I just want you to open your eyes up to some things. Your partner might not be sleeping with a female. I just want y'all to be understandable that he could be sleeping with a man and you don't even know it and it's right under your nose. Mm -hmm. I see this and hear this every day. I see the women come in my office crying because they are upset because they got an STD and they don't know how they got it because they only been with this one man. They've been with him 15 years, but yet he's not just sleeping with you. He might be going somewhere with his friends and it's so-called his friends, but that's who he's sleeping with. Or it could be another woman and people cover up and it could be vice versa. It's not always the man. It could be the female. So I just want y'all to be understandable that if y'all are in a relationship and y'all can actually have sex, then y'all need to have adult conversation and say, hey, Let's go get tested. That's part of the agreement is to get tested so we can make sure that we're safe. Don't always, everybody says, oh, I don't want to get pregnant. STDs can live with you just like a baby can forever or 18 years or longer and can cause complications. So I want people to understand it's not just about preventing pregnancy because it's like you want to wear a condom. You want to wear a condom because you're not ready to have that baby. You're not ready to have that STD that you might get. Not saying you're going to get it, but you might get it. It's the luck of the draw. You don't know. And that's the sad part. And a lot of these STDs now are asymptomatic. So you might not even know you have it till it's too late. And I would hate for somebody to be sitting there being pregnant and find out that they got HIV or they got uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia because now you have to treat yourself and do this. And sometimes you can't even treat it because the medication with the baby. So you got to be careful because you're not always out for yourself. You have to think about other people that it could affect. And so that's why it's really strong because women are like the number one people who get, you know what I'm saying, STDs because the women's the vagina is exposed. It's vulnerable. It's the sexually um, transmitted disease that the male can actually carry because the male has the extra foreskin on the penis that kind of protects them, which is a lot thicker. And so that's why the men have a little more protection from STDs. The women, when you insert the penis into there with the rough sex, it could cause tearing. It could cause all that because the, the vaginal walls are thin. You know what I'm saying? The mucosal, the mucosal lining. 
they're thin, they're there. You get the sensation, the feeling. But when you do have rough sense, sometimes you can see that it's a little tearing, a little bleeding, it hurts, and things like that. The roles that they might play, you know what I'm saying, go into it as well, because some women may not feel comfortable saying, I want to use a condom this time, because, oh, why you want to use a condom? You don't trust me, you don't this, you don't that. If he can't respect you enough to say, hey, I want to use a condom, then maybe you shouldn't have sex with him. Exactly. If your man brings up to you ladies saying, hey, let's just use condoms, use them. He probably trying to protect you because mm-hmm. we get them in there every day. They come in there and they have sex. They won't tell us your name. They won't tell us so we can call you and contact you. So those are the things that we, we're trying to prevent. So if your man or lady ever tells you, hey, babe, let's use a condom, use it because they're trying to protect you without telling you in a way. But always you need to say, hey, well, let's go get tested. Then. You know what I'm saying? That's just something that I instill into the kids and everything is about getting tested, making sure you use condoms. Yes, you don't want a baby, but you also don't want an STD. And I think a lot of people forget about that part, especially with plan B and everything else like that. It goes into effect. So that's the one thing that we really, you know, saying hone into on the women as well is making sure that you use condoms every single time, whether you like it or not. We have some thin condoms that make it feel good. You can get all your sensation and feeling. My preference is the non-latex because it heats to the penis and it heats inside the vagina and you get all your feeling and sensation and it's still a safe way, especially if you have a latex allergy. So I don't want to hear people say, oh, I can't use condoms because they're all latex. They have bare skin, they have sheep skin, they have the non-latex ones. So there's other things out there that you can also do. Yeah. And then... So Matisse, I had a question. So um, you were saying about women being um, the highest um, rate in terms of um, being um, infected with the STI. Is that across the board, no matter what type of sex it is, whether it's um, vaginal, anal, oral, it's still? Yeah, because a lot of, because mostly with vaginal, anal, especially anal, anal is going to be, regardless of what you do, it's still a tight orifice. It's just like the inside of the vagina, but just a little bit tighter mm-hmm. and it tears. So it's going to be when you're inserting a penis, the penis isn't just a little small finger when it gets erect. It's a little bit bigger and girth and everything. So you're going to an area that's normally an exit on. So everything's normally coming out and not in. And so you have those linings that you could tear. And it can cause a lot of issues, especially if they have hemorrhoids and things like that with the bleeding. So those are the things that causes issues when someone is having anal sex. And also when you have anal sex, it's a preparation because you have to make sure that you clean out the anus and make sure that that is cleaned out from the feces because the feces does has bacteria in it and it can cause other things like hepatitis A, C, all the different things that could go along with it that can cause other diseases and infections that can cause a lot more problems. So when you do decide to have anal sex, if you do, to make sure you consult with somebody to know what's the proper techniques and what you need to do to make sure that you have safe anal sex. And there's different toys out there that you can use like anal ease to help with the easing of the pain to go in and you just need to make sure that you can relax those muscles. And so, but it's also with the lining of the actual inside of the vagina as well as the anus, which causes those problems. And a lot of people, when you see when they're having oral sex now on the videos and stuff, is when they do that forcefully stuff where they try to put it all the way down your throat is tapping the, you know, the mucus linings of your throat. Those are sensitive and thin things. So they can tear, they can do things and get those cut. And then what you do and actually insert the penis and you get the pre-cum. A lot of people forget that you can get pregnant off pre-cum. You can get an STD off a of pre-cum. Mm-hmm. It's all there. So those things are back there and they're pounding in your throat or pounding in your vagina and it's tearing. 
it might be feeling good, but you know what I'm saying? You might not see all those different little microscopic things that it could do. And then a lot of times when you don't, a lot of girls don't use lube. I get that they get the WAP or it's extra wet, but you still want to have lube to down there because if you have the lube, you could really basically lubricate yourself to make sure you lubricate the orifice so you're not having those things and the chances of those breaking and getting those pills. As long as you keep it lubricated, but a lot of condoms sometimes dry out the vagina, like the mag. That's the worst condom ever. They have the greatest marketing aspect for most African-Americans, the Magnum. That gold wrapper, everybody wants to say they're a Magnum person, but everybody's not a Magnum person. Everybody can't take a Magnum. So those are the things that we try to tell the kids that the Magnum, it dries it out. It dries out. It gets like an odor. So you make sure you want to use lube. They do provide lube at the health departments and the clinics and things like that for you. They provide water-based and silicone-based lube. But you want to be able to make sure you get those lubes to protect yourself. Even they have flavored lubes for oral sex. So we can do that because you want to coat the lining of your mouth and your vagina and anus to make sure it stays lubed up so it has easy access and easy entry so it doesn't have so much penetration and so much tear. Gotcha. Thank you. This is Matisa, a great situation. I have a question for you. Um, just generally speaking, uh, when it comes to STDs and STIs, which ones would you consider curable versus those that, like you said, that are not, they're going to be with you for forever and a day? Well, you, the main ones that are curable are gonorrhea and chlamydia. Those are your two that are absolutely curable. We give you pills, they go away. Then you have the syphilis, which we treat, but you always have it. And then we have the three H's, HIV, HPV, and herpes. Those three are viral infections and they don't go away. We can treat the, the symptoms. We can give you the medication to treat it, but you still have it. It's still active. It's a virus. It's not going anywhere. So people who say they have chicken pox, that goes away but you still have chicken pox because mm -hmm. it's a zoster family. So that's the same thing. It's a, herpes is in the zoster family. So that bump bump you get, the cold sore, that's a form of herpes. It's a form of zoster. You can treat it with like the Breva and all the other little things that they have out there, but you still have it. It keeps coming back periodically. That's herpes. It's going to keep coming back regardless. We can just treat the symptom in the outbreak, but we can't cure it. And the same thing with HPV. We can get rid of the um, the wart. We can get rid of all the other things, but we can't um, treat the virus. You see what I'm saying? We can get rid of the warts. We can burn them, freeze them off, take them off, but they can still come back. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, that HIV is managed with um, medication and that we prevent people from, you know, slowing down the virus so they can live a lot longer and making it attainable so they can become undetectable. And so... Mm -hmm. That's what we try to do with those. But that's basically the eight. The only two that are really like totally 100% curable is gonorrhea and chlamydia. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And what's the reason for that? It's just because. Well, gonorrhea and chlamydia are bacteria. Okay. And the other ones are more viral infections. Okay. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And my question is, um, what race and ethnicity is the high, has the highest um, STI or STD rate? Unfortunately, it's the African-American community and the Hispanic community, only because, you know, lack of resources. A lot of 
African-Americans, you know, say even myself, I hate going to the doctor. That's the one thing I got to drag myself out. I might work at the clinic, but it's like I want to help everybody else. But I just hate going to the doctor because you never know what they're going to say. And I think that's a lot is the education, the lack of resources, the lack of um, just information because they feel like, oh, well, somebody had that. I took this and it went away or the symptom goes away. Sometimes with STD, they might be there for a day or two, and then it just disappears. So they feel like, oh, okay, I'm fine. It, was, it could have been a bladder mm-hmm. infection or it could have been this. I drank cranberry juice. It went away. I'm not or thinking about or, Huh? I say, or eat yogurt. They always say right. that too. And then they do yeah. that. And then, so it's just more about the lack of education. Um, just making sure that, you know what I'm saying, that they don't have the resources. Sometimes they don't have the, the cars to get to the place. They don't have, you know what I'm saying, the knowledge of where to go. They might be at work all the time and can't take off. They don't they don't have those resources that everybody else has, but they're there for people. A lot of places stay open after hours for people. They have we like we have our mobile unit. We we do house things. So I mean we we do everything and able to make sure everybody does not miss a visit. Now, this day and time with coronavirus, COVID nineteen, you can call your doctor on the phone and do just like we're doing right here and get everything you need. It's no excuses anymore. But people still make up the excuses. Oh, I don't have internet. Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. So it's just the lack of the resources. And I think that's what my main passion is, is trying to make sure that we can limit those things, especially like my passion is HIV. It's limit that that spread itself by making sure we can do all we can do to educate the community and make those resources available. Mm -hmm. Matias, I got one more question that I'm going to ask you, and then we're going to... go flow right on into our Q&A session with our audience. Um, Can you possibly um, contract two or more STDs? So could you possibly be infected with two or more STDs at the same time? Yes, you can. A lot of people come hand in hand with um, gonorrhea and chlamydia because like I said, they're both bacteria infections. They do, you know what I'm saying? They're the same type of, um, almost the same type of virus itself or bacteria. But you can carry multiple STDs. I have some patients who have came in and they had all four and you just be like, okay, let's just figure out how we can go through that. Um, Syphilis and HIV kind of go hand in hand. Once you contract syphilis, it makes you more susceptible to getting HIV. It's just, you know what I'm saying? It's just a different breakdown and it all goes off your health and your immune system because that's what's fighting off the bacteria and everything in your system. So, but yes, it is possible for you to get gonorrhea and chlamydia together or you can get gonorrhea and syphilis, or syphilis and gonorrhea, or you can get all of them. You can have HPV, you can get gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, herpes. I mean, you can get it all at one time. Wow. It's it's just there. It just depends on your sexual partner, who you're having sex with, knowing what they have. And sometimes people might give you something and you don't even know that they have it, but they didn't even know they have it. So it's just about being adult about it because it takes two people to tank. So if you're not asking those questions, ladies or gentlemen, you're not saying, hey, are you having sex with somebody else? When was your last STD test? What's your body count? How many people have you had sex with? When have you been to the clinic? Have you ever had an STD? If you're not asking those questions when you're having sex, it kind of falls back on you as well. Because you need to make sure that you have those conversations. And that's what I always tell the children. Make sure you have that open line of communication and talk. If you can't have a conversation about sex and STDs and getting tested, then you might not be ready to have sex. 
Exactly. And I think it goes back also to what we've been talking about in our previous episodes about really just knowing yourself and just loving yourself and and, and knowing that, you know, you're worth it, like to protect yourself and and to keep yourself safe. So I I love how all of these episodes tend to kind of tie together, which is so important for y'all to watch (laughs) and listen to all because they really do tie together. And Keisha will tell you, our, our our educational sex talks ends up with being self-esteem. It talks yeah. about different things because a lot of these girls are out here thinking, oh, the boy told me I'm pretty, I'm cute. Nobody ever told me that before. So it's like a self-esteem booster for them. But we, we, we try to teach them, you can be pretty by yourself. Somebody don't have to tell you you're pretty or anything else like that. Exactly. You just have to know that you are yourself and you have to be able to self-motivate yourself and it's all about motivation and making sure that everything is good with what you're doing and it also goes back to i think i said in the episode earlier on that as women and as men we teach people how to treat us So you are allowing certain behaviors from individuals, somebody talking to you reckless or, you know, cussing you out or calling you out by your name or they're not respecting your value or your moral, your moral, um, your systems that you have in place. And yet you allow them, you know, to overturn your decisions and what you stand firm on. Once again, you play a role in how that situation at the end of the day pans out. It's not, you can't come into my office and my students will tell you both collegiate and pre-collegiate. Oh, Miss Brown, he a dog or, you know, Miss Brown, these girls ain't about this and they ain't about that. What role did you play in the situation? You know, we Mm -hmm. have to start putting accountability not only on the partner, but more so on you. Like you said, at the end of the day, it's only one of you. And you're only going to get one life. You're not a cat. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get nine lives and keep on bouncing back. So what we what we have in place, do the best that you can do with it. Very true. Well, we're coming up on towards the end of our hour, but we do want to um, see if there's any questions um, from the viewers so if y'all have any questions that y'all want to ask um, Matias, please feel free to put them in the chat at this time. We want to make sure we acknowledge you all. And even if it's not questions, even if it's just comments, that's fine too. Doesn't look like we may have any. Y'all just absorbing all the information like we are. <laughs> it's a lot, and I know it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 very useful. It's useful information because, like I said, I had no idea about all the different types of syphilis, and mm-hmm. that that was new to me. So, and and it also made me feel um, heartbroken about women, just us being the highest rate. Yeah. That really stuck with me. Okay, we do have some questions. Um, Gwen wants to know, at what age would you suggest talking with your child about sex? Um, Actually, as early as you can, letting them know the difference between what the vagina is or the pocketbook or different things, letting them know, like the small conversation about letting them know it's not okay to be touched here. 
Um, you know what I'm saying? Don't let other people touch you here or show this or show that. That's the conversation we need to have because nowadays the kids younger and younger are having sex. I think one of the conversations we had with some of the kids from Keisha's um, thing was that they started having sex at the age of like seven, eight. They just started experimenting and being touched. And always when you say having sex with somebody doesn't mean it's someone their age. It's being because they could be being molested at home by a brother, a sister or an uncle, cousin, even, you know, some of the parents. So we just need to make sure that the kids understand what the different body parts are and what's okay for people to touch and what's not okay for people to touch. That's how I started off with the younger generation. But I would suggest about maybe 11, 12, start talking to your kids a little bit more deeper. Now, if you see some of your, your, your kids' friends being a little fast and they're watching different things, you can start the conversations earlier. But I would say about anywhere about 11 and just start that conversation just giving them some education and things like that. Okay. okay. Then we have another Matina, question. Oh, go ahead, Keisha. No, you go ahead, Keisha. Matina, can you tell the audience what your professional title is? Uh, Ryan White Program Director. So I run the HIV portion of the clinic at Neighborhood Medical Center. I run the Part C program. And what's the, can you give us a little bit more information about what the Ryan White Program entails, mm -hmm. Matias? The Ryan White program um, is a federal act, a federal grant that we receive for taking care of people with HIV and AIDS. So I manage that program. So most of the clients that I take care of and deal with have HIV and AIDS. Doesn't mean that the clinic I work for, we are a federally qualified healthcare center. So we see people with insurance and without insurance. So that's basically Anybody who needs care, you can have insurance, no insurance. We work off a sliding scale fee. You bring us the proof of income, proof of rent, and proof of identification, and everything could be either free or a minimum of $5, or it can go on a sliding scale fee, depending on what it is. We provide medical, dental, vision. I mean, anything that a regular doctor's office provides, we provide it for people. We have psychiatry. We have um, doctors, ARMPs, anything that you can imagine that we can provide for people with insurance and without insurance. So the clinic I work for doesn't just see only HIV positive people. We see everybody from birth to death. We have midwives. So we see you from the pregnancy. We see you all the way from birth to death. And my portion that I just take care of is that it's pretty much like STD HIV. And so that's what I do at the Neighborhood Medical Center. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Tasha asks, hi, Tasha, <laughs> one of my former co-workers at Twin Oaks. Uh, Tasha asks, when will, be, when will our next live be? So, Tasha, we air every other every other Monday. Mm -hmm. So, we won't be on next Monday, but the following uh, Monday. Um, and like Shemekia stated at the beginning, if you have yet to like our Facebook page, uh, please make sure that you do that insightful conversations with SNL. Um, also follow us on YouTube as well as all as, as well as the other audio platforms that she mentioned yeah. uh, at the beginning of today's dialogue. But every other Monday, um, we will be on to share with you all um, some educational information that we come across and things of that nature. Yeah. And Keisha, don't forget about your new Instagram page. You got to promote the Instagram. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Can you send the Instagram page again for us? Yeah, I mentioned that at the beginning of the um broadcast, but yes, we are now on Instagram 
And our um, you can follow us at insightful conversations underscore with SL. Yes. So make sure y'all follow us. Oh, and just to add to, um, yes, it's every other Monday at 8 p.m. So make sure that yes. you're logged on at 8 p.m. to watch us. You're welcome, Tasha. Okay. Well, it doesn't look like we have any other more questions in the chat. Um, do y'all have any other final thoughts that y'all want to share? Before? I got one final thought. Sure, go ahead. Um, I was debating about doing this, Keisha, like I told you before, but just the insight because it, it just inspires me because I'm so happy for these two ladies to do this platform because about three weeks ago, this is my personal story. About three weeks ago, my daughter and her mother were actually shot in a domestic violence situation. Um, it's nothing but God because I talked to them about different things. And the person that she was shot by was a respectable person. And it's just, especially nowadays, you don't know what people are going through and things like that. So it's very important to make sure that you really inspect who and what you're dealing with. So she was actually shot 10 times, the mom, and the daughter, my daughter was shot three times. So I just really want women to understand and know that life is serious. The simplest thing, if you feel uncomfortable or if you're down about things going on in your life and not knowing what's going on or who to turn to, please, please, please seek help. There are a lot of different things out there that people can help you and assist you with to get out of situations like this. Thank God everything is a total miracle. They walked away. She walked away with 10 bullet wounds with no damage at all. Everything is fully functional. She has memory. She can talk. She can do everything. She's fine. My daughter is fine. So this was nothing but God. When I tell you I woke up that day like I was in a lifetime movie, but you have to be able to know when to seek help. If you're in a relationship and it's getting toxic, Please know when to reach out and tell somebody to do this. These are what these young ladies are telling you and educating you on. It's about the information on how and what to do. And that's our job as educators is to educate people about the simple things. Something that you might think is small could turn into a huge, huge, big ordeal. Right. But you need to be able to seek help and know when to get help. Because she didn't know when to get help. She knows now but she didn't know when to get help because she was trying to leave because he was doing things that were wrong. So that's the thing. When people are trying to leave, you got to be careful and know, hey, I might need some help because I don't know what they're going to do because everybody doesn't have the same mind capacity that mm -hmm. we do. So yeah. I really want everybody to understand and to really make sure that they pay attention to those signs and things and just know that these two ladies are trying to bring you the information that we can educate people. And I really want to thank you for your platform and for having me on here as a guest to help educate, improve, and show people that we are African-Americans out here teaching people and we're not all bad people. That's and that right. we're out here trying to do what we can do to help the community. And I really want to take my hat off to you. Just, you know, keep me in your thoughts and prayers as, you know what I'm saying, my family recovers and do everything. But ladies, please, please, Take heed to what people say and how they act. Of course. Thank you for sharing thank you. that, Matthias. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Anytime. I enjoy these conversations and 
making sure everything is good to go. Matias, um, before we close out tonight, do you have any resources that you would like to share uh, with our audience? Should they have any questions or or any additional questions or concerns when it comes to ST, STDs, STIs, where they can go to get tested, um, what different data or statistical information that they can seek out there on the internet, um, and, and so on? Well, I don't want to give statistical data because it's different for each area. And the data is actually a year, almost two years behind because we're trying to calculate all the data because we don't want to give out the wrong data. Um, but you can speak your local health department. They have any one of their pages will actually have the information for you to where you can actually go on and say, hey, I can look up statistics for how many people between the ages of 12 to 25 have HIV in this area. STD, what are the rates? How many people getting tested? How many people not getting tested? You can also go on the local health department phase and find out the COVID information just the same way. Um, anything that deals with health, you can find at your local health department. For STDs, you can go through the CDC website. You can go through different clinical sites as far as like finding, reaching out to people like myself, like health educators. You can go to, I know, Neighborhood Medical Center for me. Um, you can go to Bond Community Health Center here in Leon County as well. Big Bend Cares, CarePoint. I mean, you can go to any one of these different agencies and get the information and resources and find the health educators in the community. In Georgia, they have other health care centers that are able to reach out and look for, and um, I just don't know their name. Um, if you want to find out information about PEP and PrEP, which is the HIV medication, which is PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis and PEP is post-exposure prophylaxis. So those are medications that help you prevent from getting HIV. So if you ever get raped or you have an exposure, if you have sex with somebody and they tell you, oh, by the way, I'm HIV positive, you can seek any health department, any health clinic to the ER, anywhere else like that, or you can go to preplocator.com and you can find those different resources. And we can get you the medication that you take within 72 hours and it, can prevent, and it can prevent you from having HIV. So it's medication out there to help you and prevent for you to get HIV. And then for PrEP, pre-exposed prophylaxis, it's a medication we can give you. You take it every day and it prevents you from getting HIV until you feel like you're in a safe um a safe, healthy relationship to where you don't have to be on PrEP anymore. So there's different resources out there for people to do, but check your local health department, CDC, um, community pages as far as like um, SNL will have things coming up on their different pages and things, and I can give them some more resources to add to their page about different things on where they can go, different cities and things like that. But check your health departments and your local clinics and ask your doctors about different things, and they'll be able to, to guide you in the correct direction. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. I love resources. Yeah. <laughs> you should tell you should talk about something. If I can't find, I, I'll find it for you. I'll be right back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You never have enough of them. That's right. All right. Well, I think that's all for us this evening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the content that you heard and that you viewed. Please like and share and subscribe to all of our social media platforms um, so that you'll never miss the episode and you'll always know um, what we're going to be talking about. So until next time, which will be in two weeks, so two Mondays from now, we hope that you stay safe, stay healthy, love one another, and take care of yourselves. And we'll see you in two weeks. All right, y'all have a good night. Take care. Bye. All right. Thank y'all.